Welcome back. You are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast. As always, we bring you the brightest, smartest, and best-looking guests. And today, Angus Grayson, House Me Legal. Mate, good to see you. Thanks for uh, giving up some of your time to come and talk about all things legal when it comes to buying and selling property. Luke, thank you for having me on. Not a problem. Now, you've recently, well, it's actually probably been a little while now, gone out uh, on your own. And I think that's probably a good place to start as well because you've you've ditched the nine to five for a five to nine these days when you go out on your own um, out of the traditional corporate space of law and are building out your own version of what you want to be doing. So, what's that transition been like? Well, how long you got? <laughs> uh, I'll try and take you back. So, I have been out of my own for the last eighteen months. The last twelve months. I've actually been practicing. Before that, I left my job in December 2021, then uh, had a bit of admin to go through with the Law Society to apply to get a practicing certificate on my own. Had a full-on quarter-life crisis, got married uh, in April last year, went on honeymoon uh, around NZ on what we called the German tourist edition of... uh, where, the, where you go in New Zealand, where a lot of other, where you'd never le- normally go. Uh, so, got a motorhome and went around NZ. Nice. And then uh, ripped into it last June, so about this time last year. Wow. You've really ticked it all off since, uh, yeah, leaving the job. That's what, right. What was the inspiration behind quitting the, the nine to five as such or, or leaving your job? Uh, that is a good question. I, going back, I actually tried to leave my job originally about two weeks before COVID actually uh, came to NZ. Yeah. So I had everything teed up. I had the the new boss, the mentor, you know, I wanted to be, the new role, the new pay rise, etc. I was about to move across, had everything verbally agreed, and then COVID hit. And so the girl whose job I was supposed to take at the new office, she couldn't resign and go to London. So I was stuck for a little bit and... I just thought at the time, oh, it's just another monkey pox, you know, yeah. uh, Zika virus that'll blow over. And lo and behold, I was wrong. Yeah. I was very wrong. And so for the rest of that year, I hung on to false hope that I would leave my current job and then move across to this new law firm. And over that time, things changed a lot because after the lockdown lifted, the New Zealand residential property market went crazy. So I traditionally worked for the developer side uh, on commercial subdivisions and knowing that process I could actually do the buying side and I was suddenly getting a lot of calls from friends saying, hey, can you help me buy property? And I was saying, I can help you buy property but my current firm isn't interested in doing that. Nice. So that inspired me to build a business plan and figure out how I could go on my own and do it uh, under my own brand. Yeah. And then 12 months after I got offered that, uh, the original job, I got offered it back and had to turn it down to say, no, I'm going to go out on my own. And yeah, it's been a, a wild ride since then. <laughs> yeah. So you probably launched just after the top of the housing market by the sounds. That's right. So when would that have been? November 21, roughly. Yeah, November yeah. 21 was when I was on my way out and... Since then, it, uh, the landscape has changed quite a bit. Yeah. So I'd imagine there's not 
there's obviously a decrease in the number of house sales going on, but during the pandemic, FOMO was, was rife and people were massively thinking about buying. So I'd imagine the, the phone calls have probably dropped off at the same time. That's right, yeah. Uh, 2.39% for one year was too good for the majority of NZ to turn out, turn down and jump into. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And has that been scary, like launching into what is effectively a contracting market? For me, no. I think that knowing that in NZ you have a couple of inelastic goods and services, you know, your cigarettes, your alcohol, your petrol stations and your residential property, so... <laughs> Uh, those being the big four that we're always going to come back to wanting to invest into property. Yeah. So at the moment, it's just a more challenging landscape because everything is conditional. It's hard to get finance. There's a big chain. And so you're not getting those quick auctions and people moving on with their lives. Everything's just taking a lot longer at the moment. Yeah. It's interesting because we're actually outside of property as well, speaking to clients and different business owners across all different industries, economies, and everyone's sort of saying, shit's just taking longer to get done. That's right. And yeah, everything's just um, you know, not moving as quick. And I think when there's heaps of money flowing through an economy and everybody wanting to buy properties, for instance, and then FOMO's driving it, they want it to happen quickly, right? Whereas I think now everyone's a bit more um, you know, uncertain and so slowing down their decision-making and those sorts of things. So good on you for sticking to your guns and probably being able to preempt that things were going to start to slow down, but still stick to your plan to go out there uh, and rip into it. So House Me Legal, you take effectively take people through um, the purchase of a property, right? But you do a number of other things, but that would be the core of what you're doing at the moment. That's right. And perhaps from a non-traditional legal model, I like to get involved as early as possible. I mean, the mortgage advisor and the lawyer are probably going to argue who who comes first in the process. Until a client actually wants to make an unconditional offer and actually submit something, all the work that we do up front is included in the package, the goodwill. So what I'm there for is to hold someone's hand and tell them that it's going to be okay and also provide the education for how they can get from the start to the finish. Okay. So let's step that out then. Say that I decide to buy a property. I'm going to need a lawyer, right? Everybody needs a lawyer? Yes. I mean, you can try and do it without a lawyer, but you're going to end up in trouble at some point. Okay. Yeah. And more, I'm, more. I'm not, the be- I'm not your lawyer if you're an experienced property investor and you're going back and forward doing lots of deals. Yeah. I'm there for your first-time experience, someone who's going to connect you to the right people and also educate you along the way to answer any stupid calls or any stupid questions anytime. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's just say you want to buy a property, uh, with or without uh, Taryn. Yeah. Uh, we can go with either example. But the way I helped break things down so I can remember it is uh, using acronyms, so... I've developed a process called Buy It. So B, book a call, free, no obligations call, get in touch, see if we're the right fit. I can map out your journey. And if you have a specific property in mind, can give you a fixed quote for exactly what you need, depending on uh, your certain circumstances. The next part is you. So understand money, very important, as you'd be aware on keep the change. Yeah. No money, no house. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Y is for you. So that's for your DIY, do it yourself. This is often the longest holding phase when you are out there going to open homes, you're chatting to people in the community, you're figuring out all the stuff on your own, researching property values. So a lot of it you can do on your own until I. I is involved with the professionals, so actually having to pay for our professionals to give you advice on you might need a building report, you might need the limb report reviewed, uh, title reviewed, agreement reviewed, and your finance, the mortgage advisor, who I highly recommend using them, they'll do all the admin for you. They're normally free, but I is, I is the stage when involved the professionals, you're getting serious. T, T is for timing, so that is the time you want to make your offer, conditional, unconditional, and also the timing for settlement, so figuring out how you can tidy up the rest of your life as a renter and moving forward to being a homeowner. Wow. There's a bit to unpack in there. I think that people can start by booking, right? And then they probably get a feel for, holy shit, there's a whole heap of stuff I didn't even realise that I was going to need to know on this on this journey. But um, then into um, understanding dollars and, and finance, that's can they actually afford to buy? What can they afford to buy? Um, and then you... Well, that's me going out there and having a look and trying to pop off some uh, multi-million dollar mansion. And then I involve someone like yourself and I'm like, I've gone unconditional on this. And you're like, fuck, you idiot. You were supposed to go conditional to finance. So I think um, it's probably good just there to stop there. And do you want to just explain the difference between conditional and unconditional? Because one thing that I have learned through Keep the Change is that uh, back to basics has been so valuable for people where you and I might know what, you know, being in your industry, what being a conditional buyer or an unconditional buyer means, but somebody who isn't at the stage of buying a property yet might be like, well, what do what those two things even mean? Yeah, let's go with the easiest one first. We'll go unconditional. That's, let's just say you're betting on a horse race. You will make an unconditional bet on the horse on the nose. If it wins, you will get paid out. If it doesn't, Money's gone. Money's gone. So that's unconditional. Yeah. You make a bet, you pay up. Conditional. This is a very, very wide area of what your agreement can be conditional on. I'll go through the three most common ones in New Zealand residential property. Number one, conditional on finance. So that is that you need to go to the bank and get a loan approved to purchase the property. Second one is building report, so getting a building inspector in to actually give you a report to assess the structure, weather tightness, water tightness, the whole property. Yeah. And the last one is limb report. So limb report is all the information the council holds, putting uh, put together in a package file for you. Useful stuff in there is about your building consents, code of compliance, flood risks, etc. Got you. So I think I remember this from when I brought a house down there in the mighty Naki. Now, I could be conditional for finance. That meant I needed to actually go to the bank and figure out, will they give me the money? Um, I think I put that in anyway, knowing, but it's still knowing that I was most likely going to get finance. Is that something that people often recommend so that kind of gives you a reason to be able to get out if you decide to? Yeah, I think one area that is often... If you don't have a lawyer by your side early on, you can easily get coaxed into 
making an offer from the real estate agent saying, hey, you like this, we'll make it conditional on finance, the bank approves you, then you can go ahead. However, if you're only conditional on finance, you can only pull out because you can't get funding. Mm. If you get funding and then find out, you know, you've got some dodgy neighbours or, you know. The roof's butchered. Yeah, yeah. or like a, it might be the home of like a boys get paid punting club next yeah. door, you know. They, they might, sound dangerous <laughs> no, loud. And you can't pull out for any reasons like that. So those are the three most common conditions that are in a agreement. But one that I always advocate for a first home buyer to use is what's called a due diligence clause. It gives you a really wide umbrella and blanket for you to be able to complete your full investigation uh, without actually spending any money up front. It also means that you can agree the purchase price, uh, settlement date, condition time frame uh, with the vendor and then go through and pay for your building report, limb report, et cetera, and legal costs, because all these costs start adding up. And, okay. you know, you and I, if you're, you're buying the house off me, yeah, you could go through all this due diligence, and if we can't agree price, cash is king, then you've wasted probably maybe 1500 bucks. Yeah. and you're not even going to get your foot in the door. So, so I've, I've spent that on, like, legal advice, looking at limb reports and stuff, and also probably, like, a building report. Is that what you mean? That's, That's right, really, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we figure out, well, actually, the vendor, which is geeky legal term for the seller, seller um, can't agree on the price of the buyer, and it doesn't go through anyway. Yeah, analogy I like to use is, if you were going to go out on a blind date or a first date, imagine paying for everything up front, the movies, the trip up the Sky Tower, you know, the Uber... I've done this before, yeah. yeah. And what's the catch here? And so imagine if they weren't actually going to turn up, you wouldn't oh. even get your foot in the door, you'd be a date just for Mr. Luke Kimmies. Yeah, I've, yeah this, is, this sounds like my uh, upbringing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Makes sense. Okay, so what about um, you could be, well, this probably doesn't apply for people that are um, and going for their first time, more probably their second right, but you can also be conditional on the sale of your own property, eh? That's and that's right. what really drags shit out, eh? Because you're basically waiting for your property to sell, to then be able to buy the next one. That's right. And so you have a domino effect from the boomers all the way down to the millennials of these chains happening all across New Zealand. Yeah. Thankfully, in New Zealand, though, we have a bit more certainty in our contracts in the sense that if you are locked in, you're actually locked in pending what your conditions say. In the UK, I've had a few friends buy in London, and there are no rules. You really? can pull out the carpet at the last minute and go, oh, we've had a better offer. See you later. So at least we have that here that unless your condition says you might have a clause like an escape clause, which can say if we get a better offer, then you will have three working days to confirm all your conditions. Otherwise, we're going with them. Oh. But in the UK, you don't need that. People will just pull the carpet out. Yeah. See you later. I thought you genuinely meant they would take the carpet out, but you mean as in pull the rug out from underneath you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. whatever's going on in the UK at the moment, you wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so there's probably a little bit more protection for the, the buyer. Is this, when you see first-home buyers, is this a pretty stressful process for people? Yes. I mean, yeah. when you're handing over, more often than not, uh, seven figures to buy your first home, it is an extremely... That's Auckland, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, some of NZ, most of the NZ is often heading that way at the moment, right? Mm. I mean, even starter, like new builders in Christchurch are around, you know, high 900,000s. Wow. And, you know, uh, out in Hallsville. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's currently going, but yeah, 
it's yeah, high six figures, seven figures to start. Anyway, the principle is like if you're handing over that much money, you know, people are wanting to, I'd imagine, leave no stone unturned, right? That's right. Yeah. And so what do you see people most often get wrong that haven't perhaps engaged with a lawyer or they even just don't even understand? I would probably say not the number one one, but a good place to start would be thinking the real estate agent is their friend. So the real estate agent in New Zealand, more often than not, there are buyer's agents, but let's just put that aside. The real estate agent acts with the vendor and they're trying to get a deal done. And so they don't represent you as a buyer and so they don't actually have your best interests at heart. And yes, they can be very charming and they're good at their jobs. You just have to be careful, like the finance situation before, if you aren't aware of all your options available to you and you're, there's always time pressure to put in an offer and your best offer. Mm. So if you don't get that right, you can end up with something that you don't like but you can't get out of. And you've kind of fallen into a little bit of sales tactics around yeah. um, scarcity and also time pressures and things like that. And so you're just like, okay, maybe we'll worry about the legal stuff later or the conditions and stuff. That's right, yeah. yeah, as you'd be aware, FOMO is riper, open homes and under time pressure. Yeah, so people should be speaking to a lawyer and a mortgage advisor effectively before going and flirting around with some of the best sales people in New Zealand. That's right. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, uh, I want to ask about the bank of mum and dad. Is that becoming, well, I know that it's becoming more and more a thing when people are going to buy properties. Is that... Does that become tricky where you've got to involve people's parents as part of this process as well? It is. So it's important for everyone to get independent legal advice and more often not with the bank and mum dad situation that comes following uh, as a couple. I always advise a couple, hey, if you choose to do nothing, at some point your property will become relationship property. That means in the event of an unfortunate and unlikely breakup, your property will get split 50-50. However, if you would like to do something about it, you can choose to make your own rules. It does mean you're going to have to put up a bit of money now, but it will give you both certainty in the future about what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And so there's a cool company, shout out to Amy Stevens, who has a startup called Slice, and they work with to work with young couples. They work with mum and dads buying with kids, also with you know, uh, friends, siblings, etc., to try to make that pro simple because if you're in a relationship, you need a contracting out agreement. If you're not and you're just friends, you need a property sharing agreement. Okay. And how do the mum and dad piece come into it? Is that because they have advanced yes. the money and it's often probably uneven from one side of the relationship? Yeah, so you've got two options when you're receiving money from parents. One is a deed of gift. So that might be the traditional way that uh, grandpappy... Uh, Kimmy's gives you $50,000 to buy your first home and you go, thank you, Granddad, that's really kind. What Granddad probably doesn't realise is the consequence that that money in the future, if you break up, will become relationship property. Got you. The other option is structuring it as a deed of acknowledgement of debt. And that, uh, more often than not, it's a interest-free loan and yep. it would just say, in the event of a sale or a breakup, that money would go back to Luke's granddad or to Luke. And so uh, your partner, whoever you're buying with, wouldn't be able to touch the loan. 
yeah. so I'd go back to your side. So say though, just this is piquing my own interest. Say you then have a fallout with your granddad in that time, <laughs> and he's he's given me some cash to buy this property with my partner. It's a deed of acknowledgement of debt, and then granddad finds out that uh, I'm doing some things that he's not too happy about, and he's like, "Fuck, I want that cash back." Can they do that through that deed of acknowledgement of debt? Depends on what the the loan actually says. I mean, you've got a reasonably bespoke uh, and unique situation of an unhappy granddad, but <laughs> it would depend. Some of the, the loan can be callable on demand, so he could say, hey, I want the money, or yeah. more oft- I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard of uh, any situations like your own, but more often than not, they are repayable on the event of a breakup or a sale. Okay. But there could be a call for on demand, like a you know a normal loan. Yeah, because I've just heard stories where... You know, people have fallen out of their parents, for instance. And that's just made me think, wow, I wonder, you know, if things get nasty, whether there is an ability to say, hey, send that back. But I'd imagine that's probably better thought through by lawyers anyway. So when both parties are signing that deed of acknowledgement of debt, that there is probably clauses around how that could be asked to be recalled. That's right. And when the bank of mum and dad are going to be involved, they'll need to get their own independent legal advice for one, if they want to do a loan or a gift, or two, often they can act as guarantors on the loan itself. Yeah. So do you play in the relationship property space or try and stay? No, I stay away from that. I give very high level advice, more like a warning, like a red flag. Hey, I will point this out to you and I'm going to remind you that you need to do this. This yeah. is important, but at the end of the day, if you choose to do nothing, I can't force you to do that, mm. but I can provide you with enough education and options for you to do it. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back a few steps. So say someone engages a lawyer, they're looking at properties, and you talk about like a, a limb report. What's a limb report? Is that if a building's got all its limbs or not? Well, um, getting hit <laughs> with the, the big puns early on. Got him. Uh, a land information memorandum is a collection of information from council. Generally, they're about 25 to 30 pages long. They have lots of pretty uh, overhead graphs in them, but the most useful thing in them is the reference to any building consents and code of compliance council has. So in around, before 1991, 1992, New Zealand was a real cowboy country on building. You had building permits, but they didn't actually get code of compliance to check that that actually be done correctly. So a lot of our housing was built before this time, and so there's a lot of uh, grey area about when and how stuff was built. So it's really important you get a building inspector in to check this for you because the lawyer can't actually see it themselves. Mm. And the other useful stuff in the limb was you more if you want some really bespoke like resource consent subdivision advice, you need to go to a town planning expert. But from what you and I can read in it, you can see as topical as uh, the recent cyclones are, you can see where the flood paths are. I mean, they're not 100% accurate, and we have just had an unprecedented cyclone. You can see where the flood paths are expected to go down the street and into property. Ah, interesting. So that is that mapped out by a council? Yes. Wow. Can that be like relied on if it goes wrong? Uh, Do people I, sue councils? I, I think it would be difficult to sue council for that. The one important thing that I have a big, uh, I really think needs to change with the whole limb report system is if you want to, so more often than not, the seller will provide a copy of the limb report and it will be relatively up to date. But if you want to rely on the limb report and be able to sue the council for any misinformation 
in the limb. It needs to be addressed into your name. So you have to order it, another 350 bucks just for it to be in your name. Wow. And so it's a real clip-the-ticket system yeah. and something that I will continue to advocate for, that it should be either shared upon in a way that anyone who clicks to download the report would put in their credit card details and then they'd be able to share the costs of either whoever won would pay for it or anyone who agrees to click it would share the costs evenly over everyone else who downloaded the report. Interesting, yeah. It just reminds me in the horse racing space where you go to buy a horse and you usually you want to get a horse x-rayed. Now, a lot of people won't trust the seller's X, uh, vet because they're like, well, they might not disclose everything or who knows. So you'll send in your own vet to read the x-rays, but each person that wants to look at buying that horse will send in their own vet. And it's basically like, bang, another fee, another fee, another fee, and you are be like, oh, actually, no, there's something wrong with that horse, or no, that wouldn't be able to be then on sold. For instance, there's a blemish here. Sweet, you know, but the vet gets their gets their pay, uh, and then right, maybe we'll go look at this one next. And I'd imagine this probably happens a little bit with builders' reports too. Like in a small town, say there's only X amount of ho- uh, horses houses for sale, <laughs> you're going to send a builder around to have a look at it, but then you probably need that report addressed to you to be able to provide the bank for safety. But they might have looked at it X amount of times already. Yeah, so there's a bit of movement in that space and I'm not completely up to date with how, it, how it's um, going to end up. But from my understanding, you can actually get building reports readdressed to you for a, a smaller price. Uh. So it sounds like the uh, local councils and the uh, veterinarians are a lot more aligned, but the building yeah. report space is a bit more progressive. Yeah. And yes, you can also... It is recommended to get one that hasn't been produced by the seller yeah uh, so you can have your own independent advice so how that council piece is really important is that Luke goes to buy a property I go have a look around it and I'm like oh fuck yeah there's an epic sleep out at the back here and I'm thinking boom I can get a border in there I can have 10,000 bucks a year having this border I can pay for their power I can provide food for them I'm not going to get taxed on it I can use that to decrease my mortgage and then I go to you and you're like, hey, mate, there's actually no consent for that sleepout. Yeah, so on the topic of sleepouts, uh, in the last couple of years, they have, uh, Auckland Council has changed the bi- uh, their bylaws about what you can build as a consent. We won't go into that. But in that situation, even if there is a code compliance issue or something on the land that shouldn't be there, the first step is always to disclose it to your lender and also to your insurer and they may choose to proceed uh, with you funding the purchase subject to that being noted and also maybe not being covered for insurance. Oh, I'm see. not an expert in this area, yeah. but the number, the best thing to do is the three Ds, disclose, 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 yeah. and okay. let put it on to your bank and insurer for them to make a call. Obviously, a little sleep out at the back isn't really a big one. If you've got an extra internal room, then you might be looking at you know, a big issue. Gotcha. What about an eight uh, eight spaces for a garage <laughs> for six Teslas and two Ferraris. Yeah, I mean... Probably need to get that consented. I think with the, the power usage of your six Teslas, you'd probably be getting a look from the police about potential <laughs> hydroponics use. Okay. Like, but okay. uh, that'd be your own one to figure out. <laughs> Do I have to get... No, I shouldn't ask. Cause say, about hydroponics, they need to be consented as well. But I guess that this is the whole point of this process is to try and pick up on things that may... 
there may be a discrepancy from what you're seeing, what you're being sold, and what's actually like legal uh, or consented right. Because at some stage, you're probably going to go and sell this property. As much as people say, oh, I love my house, mm. and I'm going to live there forever, um, I've only ever met one person who's continued to do that. So I think on average, seven to ten years, people are out of there. So then the next buyer is going to go, oh, shit, well, this whatever structure, internally, externally, isn't consented and that's then going to be a way that they can negotiate the price down I'd imagine because it creates a level of risk for them and that's right and it's really common that oh we love this we just want to go ahead with that and my when I have to put on my like uh, hard ass lawyer hat and say hey this is just you know hangovers you're going to kick this down the road and you're going to deal with the same stuff when you come to sell Mm. and you can either choose to fix it when you own the property which can be a lengthy process with council or uh, dealing with the building side of it or you can just go no too difficult walk away yeah okay so two different types right so one people buying homes that are standalone and that have been through you know decades and probably been brought and sold by other people there's 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 data to show what those sales have been and then secondly as well people buying off the plans and then waiting for those properties to be built seems like people are we're trying to build more houses in New Zealand um, so there's going to be more and more people looking to buy off the plans. What are the things that people need to be thinking about in both of those camps, and do they do they differ from one to the other? So off the plans versus existing. Yeah. So existing, you can see it. You can see what it is. You can you can tap on the wall. You can see. It. You can get uh, you know your great uncle Kenny around to see what he thinks of it. Yeah. You can get your mum and dad around. Everyone can actually have a look and a feel. So you're buying as is. You know a secondhand good but it survived for however many years. When you get into the off-the-plan space, you end up with a lot more variety. So the biggest issue is the develop. It's often a non-legal one. It just comes down to what is the developer's reputation, their integrity. So even though I used to act for a lot of developers, and so their contract would be very wide to give them powers to change things around, you know, they need more time. You know, it's not easy to build a 50-lot subdivision out in Hobsonville, mm. so they need to have some scope. But you need to be really careful about their the ability to vary the contract. So whether you're going to what level of specifications, let's just say you think you're getting Fisher and Paykel and you end up with Fisher and Paykel. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's an important one. You need to watch out for sunset dates. So... A sunset date is generally in there to protect both parties and that means that let's just say after three years knowing they can't finish the development and they're going to have to the developer is going to have to walk away. You get your deposit back so long as that's written in the contract correctly and both parties can walk away. Yeah. Is that usually activated by the developer not finishing the project? It's more off to activated by a time frame being reached and they haven't achieved got code compliance certificate and title. I see. Uh, the the issue with sunset dates is that they have a bad reputation as in a good market, developers will use them to you will put down your deposit and then three years later the property, the value of it might actually increase due to the market. And then they'll go, oh, we sold it to Luke for $500,000. We could actually resell this on the market if we let the sunset date go for six fifty, right? So yeah. you just have to be careful about who has control over the sunset date. Yeah. So this is why it'd be really important if you're going to be buying off the plans to speak to a lawyer 
um, because you're going to be very aware of these little things, especially if you've played on the other side of the table as well around what the uh, the developer will be thinking about. And that's right. And for most pre-existing homes in New Zealand, there's always one contract form that looks the same, has the same clauses, everyone knows it, real estate agents, lawyers, mortgage advisors. But when it comes to buying off the plans, the agreement becomes a bespoke agreement and a lot more complicated, a lot yep. more varied terms, and you need a really thorough review for your lawyer to give you a reporting letter to outline uh, where the risks are and actually for you to understand how the whole process works because you could put down a 10% deposit and then two and a half years later it could still be sitting there waiting for completion. Yeah, and that deposit that you put down, I'd imagine it doesn't go to the developer, does it sit with a lawyer in trust? Yes, so you always want to check and the majority of contracts are structured this way. Back in the, uh, the cowboy days, the money would go straight out to the developer and who knows where that would end up. Wow. But now the way it should be structured is the deposit sits in the developer's lawyer's trust account and it sits there until code compliance and record of title have issued and then they become they can access it because effectively those two things are used to trigger the settlement so you're going to get the property. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So what other things should people be aware of if they're going to look at or think about buying property off of the plans? Anything else? Yeah, you need to check what's actually included in your contract. A real common one that isn't included is curtains. So I myself, my wife Michaela, we bought off the plans in the up-and-coming suburb of Eden Terrace. Uh, check it out. Uh, so in that one, we got everything included apart from our blinds. So that was the one thing that we had to fork out for at the end of it. So it's important to say, put that money aside. A lot of them as well, oh, we didn't, it didn't come with a washing machine or a dryer, but it did come with, you know, fridge, oven, everything else, basically. Yeah. And you know this at the start, right? Like yes. You, yeah. It'll say at the back of the contract, you're in the plans and specifications, what you're actually going to get, and if that's included in the fixed cost. When it comes to buying off the plans, you also have option one, you just receive a turnkey package, so pretty much everything is done for you. Whereas the other option is when you do like a... A build and so you with like a when you end up doing progressive payments with the builder you buy the land and you have to end up putting in money over time to get certain levels of the property done I'm not a, an expert in this area but one thing to watch out for that one is more often than not they won't do the landscaping they won't have done any of the garden they won't put the deck on won't even do the driveway so you just need to be really careful that it can be the difference, you know, of tens of thousands of dollars if you think you're maxed out and then you have to go buy that other stuff. Yeah, okay. Wow. Um, that's probably scary for a lot of people because there'd be things that they just naturally wouldn't be thinking about. No. Yeah. And I, I had a mate who, through the pandemic, when the, the house prices were going nuts and the cost of building was increasing too, he had to kick in more to have his property finished. And there wasn't too much he could do about it. No. That's what it was. Uh, yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of the biggest red flags to look for in a off-the-plans contract about whether the developer can vary the purchase price. I mean, developers do get a pretty bad uh, deal about, some, well, they actually do it themselves with their reputation, but it must be extremely difficult trying to map out the costs at the start and then the finish. Yeah. But you just need to look in the contract, does the developer have it? the ability to vary the purchase price and under watch circumstances. Okay, 
So in that situation, it sounds like they did have an ability to ask for more, but generally that's one you need to really uh, drill down on. And if there is, uh, it needs to be limited in what circumstances they can ask for more. Okay, sweet. And there's a Facebook group, I think, called like, Fucking New Zealand home buyers or something like that. I'm not in it, but every now and then people send me photos from there. But it looks like at the moment there's been the odd person who's not actually able to settle on their mortgage and they are saying, what can I do? Uh, help me. Have you seen some of those things floating around? Has that been spoken about in the in the legal space? Uh, I've, I'm starting to hear a bit about that. So let's just say you... Uh, unable to settle your property. Yeah. Uh, the worst case scenario is the seller, the vendor, developer can take your deposit. Yeah. Then they can also pursue you uh, for any cost to remarket the property. To sell it to the next person. Yes. Gotcha. And, then, and then any other costs associated with that too. Yeah. The seller has to use their best endeavours to sell that to someone else. Do you need to clear your throat, mate? Yeah. Sorry. You're right. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Oh no, don't have don't have any water for you. Sorry, mate. It's uh, it's not a professional operation around here. But uh, next time, we good. You're alive. Yeah, I'm alive. Okay, good. Okay, so potentially could lose the deposit, and then also could be pursued for uh, the cost associated with actually selling that property to somebody who who can settle on that property. Yes, that's right. So it can be a pretty lengthy process and a pretty nasty one. Yeah. Wow, I'd imagine that would be people's worst nightmare, you know, losing their deposit for a property because it's probably taken them a shitload of time to save right. for. Yeah. So are they not getting solid advice to start with to understand that that could be an issue or is there something else happening for those people? Yeah, they need to make sure they're dealing with a good mortgage advisor at the start and who can understand the risks associated with that. Yeah. Okay. And so, obviously, in the last three years, this is a common amount of time for development to complete. Yeah. And a lot can change in that time. So, we've seen interest rates go from low twos all the way up to sixes. So, when your serviceability gets reassessed, then you're going to be paying a lot more for your purchase price. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, for your loan, right? And yes. so, then, then people are running into trouble where they can't actually... Yeah, settle on that property because also the the value of that property is coming coming back uh, or decreasing when they're going to settle. That's right. Yeah, right, mate. Well, I think we better get you out of here because uh, I think I've blown your uh, your voice up with uh, <laughs> with all these questions. But um, any advice, any final advice for people that are that are taking the leap into buying their their first property? How can they start to get themselves in the groove of thinking about some of the stuff so it's not so overwhelming when they actually come? to put that deposit down? Uh, definitely reach out to all the free resources out there, <coughs> such as, you know, Keep the Change, Thank Pro- you. <laughs> Property Academy podcast. Look, the more you know, the better you're going to feel about it. I'm always available for a free call. Uh, my Calendly is always open, and even if you don't end up working with me, I'm happy to refer you to all the free resources I have. And people can find you on Instagram as well. If you search for House Me Legal. Uh, Angus Grayson on LinkedIn if people want to have a read about some of the longer form pieces of content that you've got on there Uh, I'm sure on your website they can book a call with you if they want to discuss the 
the initial part. But sure can. Good man. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing some of the insights into buying in this space. I'm sure we'll do this again at some stages. The property market continues to turn. Um, well, they say that it's about to turn, whether it does or not, but there's always something happening in the property space. I think for you guys uh, in the legal space, there's someone's always buying and someone's always selling, right? So there's always something to be doing. So I think in the future we'll be able to touch on what to be thinking about when you're going to sell um, and some of those different things as well, which we can give some people some insight to. So thanks again, mate, and we'll have to get you back uh, for another session at some stage. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Right, we'll get Avicii Levels on. Maybe that's why you've lost your voice, mate. Were you singing this on the way here? Sure was. Yeah, 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 yeah.